I know you've heard lots of thoughts on the Mueller report, but you haven't heard mine yet, and mine are really good, so stick around for that. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did another really dumb thing, but first I have a big announcement. We'll start there on the Corey Truax Show. Additionally, assuming we have time, and I believe we will, we have another Trump versus Romney round. And that's always a fun fight, so we can can get involved with those two guys as they went back and forth on Twitter and in the media a little bit. I do have some uh, Mueller report thoughts that I think will please and displease everyone. Unless you're just me, or unless you think like me. Like, you don't have a team. You're not on anyone's team. You're not... You're not anti another team. You're not pro your team. You just look out at the world and you judge right and wrong. Uh, I think I'm going to please and displease all of the teams when we get into that Mueller report. And I guess for some of you, it's going to be emotional whiplash when we get into that. You're going to be like, amen, Corey. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what? What did you say? What was that second point? And some of you are going to be like, you're such a rah, 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 rah. And then like immediately you're going to be like, but that's so right. Because that's all how I typically operate. I am a, I'm a straight shooter. Uh, just looking at the world through the best I can the biblical lens. And uh, we're going to start here in a moment with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'll explain what we're going to do there in a minute, but it's kind of maddening, and we're going to spend a lot of the show on her today and something she put out out there on the interwebs on YouTube. But first, my name is Corey Truax. I'm dedicated, and we on the show are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on The Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina at 1030 on 123 in Greenville. You are invited. I would actually send a shout-out there uh, to Mr. Daryl McDowell and his bride who came over on Easter. Good uh, good to see him in person. Uh, so you, you guys who are out there listening, if you're in the Greenville area, you want to come by. It's a good time. It's a good time on Sunday mornings, 1030, there at Beachwood Church. Here is that announcement I wanted to mention. I teased maybe a little over a month ago on the show to you, the dozens and dozens, the tens and tens, it really is hundreds and hundreds, the hundreds and hundreds of listeners to the show, that I had potentially something in the works that is exciting, and it is exciting, particularly for me. So here is an announcement and something that you need to know. If you're in that situation where you think, man, 50 minutes a week of that guy, it's just not enough. I need more than 50 minutes a week of the content from Corey Truax. You know, every now and then, he'll put out a bonus episode. That helps. You know, and I'm following on Instagram, and so I'm getting a little bit throughout the week, and I'm following on Facebook and getting some more there. But, man, I really could use more content. Well, I have good news. The very kind and talented people over at Palmetto Family Council have provided you another outlet to hear me talk about what's going on in the world. I mean this. I'm truly honored that they have asked. Uh, Josh Putnam, who was a friend from college, he was a member of the state legislature. Uh, that was He's got an incredible story, by the way. If you don't remember Josh Putnam's story, came within dozens of votes. Uh, I guess it was 152, 153 votes, I think, of unseating the third most powerful member of the House of Representatives when he was like 20 or 21 years old. And then that member of the House of Representatives resigned. Josh ran for again and took that seat. He had a good career there in the House of Representatives. And now he is the director of Palmetto Family Council, which is inarguably the most important voice we have in Columbia 
for matters of Christian worldview, making the the Christian worldview known, speaking up for Christian worldview, and the families of South Carolina from a, a faith and family perspective, uh, making those statements to the members of the House and the Senate there in Columbia. They're the most important organization there. I've admired them for a long time, even before Josh was director there, and he's got a good thing going. Uh, so Josh Putnam, our, our director there, has his own podcast over at palmettofamily.org. You can listen to it where you listen to my podcast, Eric Corcoran. He's doing a great job at Palmetto Family Council. I've had him on the show once before, creating a network of pastors, an action network of pastors, so as to serve that one of those uh, duties of a pastor in the culture to be a prophetic voice on matters of faith and culture. And now they actually have a really talented communications director, a guy named Briley, who is is excellent. And now, for whatever reason, we'll see if they regret it soon— They've added me. They've added me to that lineup. And so there's this, another show out there with my, uh, with my name on it. It's called South Carolina Connections, South Carolina Connections. You can find that show wherever you find my show or also at palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org. You can go out there and listen to me talk about the issues of national import, of international import, and how it connects directly to the families of South Carolina and l- specifically looking through that Christian lens where I always do. So go out there and find that. South Carolina Connection. South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. Wherever you find my show, you can find that show. And you can also find it at palmettofamily.org. One last quick word on that. Welcome to some others. So if you're now finding the Corey Truax show because you found me on South Carolina Connections, I've actually been over here for a long time. So if you want to go back on the iTunes feed, back on my website, coreytruax.com, obviously because we talk about current events often, there are some episodes that you'll look at and go, uh, we talked about that a year ago. I don't want to know about it. That's understandable. But sometimes we don't talk about time-sensitive things. Sometimes we talk about t- things that are time immemorial. They are th- always important. And so go out and find those episodes as well. But it's an exciting time. I want to say thank you to Josh, to Eric, to Briley, and the work they're doing at Palmetto Family, and their very gracious invitation to bring me on board. And now there's a second show for the Corey Truax brand, as it were. I say that with all kinds of sarcasm and humility, knowing I'm not a brand, uh, but pretending that I am. All right, with that, let's move on. So I got sent a video by three or four people that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez narrated. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is this new, important member of the House of Representatives that we're all supposed to listen to, apparently. She doesn't seem particularly all that bright, uh, but she put out a video. That's, uh, what, eight minutes long. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, but we are going to do a big chunk of it. We are not going to listen to it because she is particularly important, but she is indicative of an entire generation of American leftism and American liberalism, and there are some lessons we can take about what she says in the video so that we're not doing the small-minded thing and talking about her. We're not doing the medium-minded thing and talking about the events surrounding her, but we're doing the big-minded thing and talking about the ideas that make up her and her movement. So that's what we're going to do together. The premise of the video is that it's something like 2035. It's 2035, and she's looking back over her years in Washington, D.C., and all that she's accomplished and passing the Green New Deal and she's still taking the same train between Washington, D.C. and New York City. Like, this is the premise. And the premise, by the way, is she saved the world. The premise of the video is she came to power in 2019, got sworn in, 
And what happened after that is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saved the planet by like 2030 or 2035. I'm going to highlight some things that we need to discuss that she said in the video because it is important that we think through them. So let's get started here with the first statement from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and this video she did telling us an uh, what's the opposite of a retrospective? A future perspective? A future perspective of her saving us all. It's often said you can't be what you can't see. And for the fir first, what? It's often said you can't be what you can't see. This is her saying, by the way, 30 seconds in. You know, when I was coming in to the to, to the Congress, you know, it was historically diverse. And so all of the little girls in the nation who saw us, you know, saw me as this Puerto Rican woman and Ilhan Omar and saw Rashida Tlaib, they saw what they could not, they saw us. And so they, they knew as little girls of, of other ethnicities and descents that they could be a part of the government as well. So one, that is not something people say often. And if it is something people say often, they need to quit. Here's how I know. Hey, Alexandria, you know what you just did? You became what you couldn't see. If you're telling me you'd never seen a Puerto Rican congresswoman, all right, well, you just did it. It happens all the time. This is one of the, the stories of human history, that people who have not seen a thing previously happen are the ones who blaze the trail. That's why we remember them, because they were the trail blazer. The trail didn't exist before they made it. It's just one of those really dumb left-wing intersectional things. Continuing on here, I'm fast-forwarding about three minutes into the video. Remember the premise being she came to D.C. and accomplished all of her hopes and dreams. She got everything she ever wanted. The world's leading climate scientists declared another emergency. They told us that we had 12 years left to cut our emissions in half, or hundreds of millions of people would be more likely to face food and water shortages, poverty, and death. Okay, couple thoughts. One, so this is supposed to be, you need to hold on to this, this is a very important point. She starts with her Green New Deal and a climate change, talking about climate, a climate scientist in that study who recently said we have 12 years to cut our emissions in half. When we get to later in the video, remember her starting premise was environmental policy. We are still early in this video. That's her big thing, saving the planet. I actually skipped over the part where she said we came into power in the Congress knowing we had to save the planet. Like She uses that kind of language. Now, that climate scientist who said we have to cut emissions by half in 12 years or the planet's going to destroy itself or we're going to have 100 billion people in poverty or some terrible thing is going to happen to all these hundreds of millions of people. He did not say the United States of America needs to cut emissions in half. He's talking about the world. If the United States cut its emissions in half... I think the number is 8 or 9%. That's 8 or 9% of the world's emissions. So you can destroy the economy you, if you want and cut our emissions by half, and you will not affect your global warming climate change issue at all. So let's even grant her we need to, the world needs to cut its emissions by half. Okay. Well, what's that mean for us? Because historically, what the United States has done is we're way outpacing China and India, parts of Western Europe and Eastern Europe, the developing world in Africa. You know, we didn't even sign the Kyoto, uh, Kyoto, yes, the Kyoto Protocol back in early 2000s, but we out, we didn't sign it, but we cut emissions by more than the signers. 
So all of Western Europe signed it, and the, and, the, and Asia signed all the people that signed on. They didn't. Most of them didn't even meet their goal. We met the goal we would have otherwise been given by Kyoto, and we did better than all those other countries because we have a free. We have still something of a free market system. There is in the free market system at least some incentive to do business in a way that is clean, to do business in a way that makes your customers wealthier and healthier for a longer time. And so we did better than your centrally controlled economies when it came to handling the environment. Now, when we come back, we're going to continue working through this video. But thus far, you can't be what you can't see, which literally Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez walking around refutes her own point. And we start with environmentalism. But this video goes way off the rails and away from environmentalism eventually. And we'll get there when we come back. So stick with us for the rest of the Corey Act show. Hi there, and welcome back to the Corey Act show. Be so kind, be so wise as to connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You get all kinds of content throughout the week, not just on Saturday mornings. If you are someone who listens live on WLFJ, Christian Talk 660, or if you listen to the podcast when it comes out midweek, whenever it is you listen, you should check in on social media. And then uh, let me know also when you have stories you think things need to get covered, you have information you want to get out on the show, just send it in. If it is deemed worthy... I certainly hope to get to it. Now, on the show today, I'm working through this video from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She put out a video to uh, make clear that she saved the planet. So when she's looking back on the world from 2035 or so, when she looks back on it, she knows she saved everyone. And where she started here was the environment, her Green New Deal, and what it would do for environmentalism because the planet was broken. Now, it's just literally minutes later she gives away the real agenda. So remember, the point was, we're going to save the planet through environmental policy, but then she lets the cat out of the bag. The only way to do it was to transform our economy. Which so starting, okay, I guess I can hear you out. You're telling me the only way to do environmental policy is to change the economy. Okay, I'm listening. Which we already knew was broken since the vast majority of wealth was going to just a small handful of people and most folks were falling further and further behind. And false. A couple things. So um, we're now out of environmental policy. Okay, so we were at, we need to save the planet from carbon and sentences later, well, really we're going to connect the two. We're going to connect the fact that we don't like rich people and we think they have too much. This has been, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is making a strategic mistake because people like me have been saying for a long time that green is the new red, like communism was the old red and green is the new red, that you're, you're getting all the same economic policy of totalitarian governments of the past, but you're getting it with this environmental angle on it. And so, but in, and the left has been saying for a long time, oh no, Corey, no, it's not that. We're not trying to get our socialist agenda through the environmental policy. No, it's not that at all. And here's Alexander Ocasio-Cortez saying, yes, it is. Yes, we're connecting the two. We want to use environmentalism as a premise to get the, the economic order that we always wanted. Number two there, she says, that our problem what we all know is a problem is that the rich keep getting so much of the wealth and everyone else is falling further behind. Statistically, 
everyone is making more money, statistically. And you might be listening, and you in particular are having a bad 10 years, a bad five years. You're having a bad year. That's a possibility. But statistically, incomes are rising slower than they should, but it's not just the rich getting richer. Everyone is getting richer. The rate of people raising their incomes and their, and their wealth is slower in the middle. It's always been the case. But this is, this is, one, not an environmental problem, but also it's an overblown economic problem. It's not true that only one small sliver of the American economy is getting richer. Everyone is getting marginally more wealthy as the economy grows. Moreover, it is important to note that the top 5% of earners in the country, this is where they usually cut off their hatred, like you got to hate the top 5%. That is very rarely the same people year to year. It is very rare that someone is in the top 5% of earners year after year after year. There's a very small group of Americans. People go in and out of the top 5%, the top 10%, top 15%, top 20% of earners. And so you have this monolith you set up if you're out there on the left that the people in the top 5%, well, which ones? The ones that were in the top 5% in 2015 and 2005 right now? Like, who are these horrible people who have all the money? It was a true turning point. Lots of people gave up. They said we were doomed. But some of us remembered that as a nation, we'd been in peril before. The Great Depression, World War II. We knew from our history how to pull together to overcome impossible odds. And at the very least, we owed it to our children to try. The wave began when Democrats took back the House in 2018. So this is now the solution, okay? Everything was terrible. The economy was bad. The environment was bad. And all the good stuff happens when Democrats win the Congress. And then the Senate and the White House in 2020 and launched the decade of the Green New Deal, a flurry of legislation that kicked off our social and ecological transformation to save the planet. It was the kind of swing for the fence ambition we needed. Finally, we were entertaining solutions on the scale of the crises we faced. Now remember, the original crisis was the environment, and now she's gonna start getting very specific. You have to admire her a little bit for being specific, because so few politicians are. Remember, remember, we were going to fix the environment. Now, here's the actual policies put into place. Without leaving anyone behind. That included Medicare for all. What? I thought we were fixing the environment. And your first idea out of the gate was socialized medicine? Which is... Uh, this, this idea. It's so... It, to me, it's so easily debunkable. So we have a, uh, I want to be really clear. I don't like defending the American system. We have a, our system is so backward and complicated and includes too many people. There's way too many hands in the cookie jar in our medical system. Comparatively, when it comes to innovation, when it comes to innovation of medicine and also procedure, when it comes to uh, availability of medicines and what medicines we're creating, uh, when it comes to survival rates for the most for the most uh, for for the worst of diseases, our our system is bad. It's the least bad. When you start looking at the outcomes you get in socialized medicine, like Medicare for all, I understand ours is not perfect, and it's far from it. It's certainly better than Medicare for all, and it's certainly better than modeling it after Canada or Britain. And this is one of those the, the the medical care issue is one I've been into for a long time because I would. I would want to ask the folks on the left that want to do that, well, where's the innovation going to come from? 
because that's we are the engine of that. We're the ones. That's it. We are basically it. There's a couple folks in Japan, sometimes Western Europe. Some of those countries come up with new things. We are the ones coming up with all the medicines and procedures and equipment. And the reason we, we do that, like we have companies like Intuitive Surgical that come up with all these things, is because there is profit motive. And you can, you can sink in hundreds of millions of dollars into a project because you know you can make billions of dollars out of it. And if that comes out of the economy, if that's over here, no one else in the world's doing it. And the medical system that we have right now, the medical technology we have right now, that will be the medical technology that we continue to have because there will not be the motive and the ingenuity and the resources put towards that part of the economy. But again, first thing, hey, everybody, the planet's going to die. we got to do something for the planet. Okay, Alexandria, what should we do first? Uh, Medicare for all. The most popular social program in American history. We also introduced the federal jobs guarantee. A federal jobs guarantee. Hey, we need to fix the uh, the environment. What do you want to do, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Well, we should have Medicare for all and have a, a guaranteed job for everybody. Um, what? How, how are you can How are you connecting these things? Like, there's some economic policy. Maybe you put like you could immediately go say, well, we should have a carbon tax or something. But your immediate Green New Deal, your immediate environmental policy is paying is having a health system that's going to be worse, it's going to be more expensive, and guaranteeing everyone a federal job. A public option, including dignified living wages for work. Funnily enough, the biggest problem in those early years was a labor shortage. <laughs> Funnily enough, the biggest problem was a labor shortage. This is, in her, her weird imagination, the problem after Medicare for All and a jobs guarantee is we just can't get enough people for the jobs. We need more, uh, which, oh, I don't even know where the, the premise of that argument is. So you're, you're taking more money out of the economy. You're going to have economic shrinkage or your economy is going to slow down. You can make up jobs if you want, but then you just start leading to inflation as well. Now you can just create jobs out of nothing, have people dig a ditch, fill the ditch, and, and so the dollar ends up meaning less in the economy more generally. Like, this is stuff that someone with an economics background should know, and she seems to not know it ends up meaning less in the economy more generally. Like, this is stuff that someone with an economics background should know, and she seems to not know it at all. And should know, and she seems to not know it at all. In her fantasy world, and it is nothing but fantasy, you fix the environment with Medicare for All, a jobs guarantee, and the biggest problem we're going to have is there won't be enough people for the jobs. We're building a national smart grid, retrofitting every building in America, putting trains like this one all across the country. What is the deal with the left and trains? This is 1900, at best, 1900 technology. And they're obsessed with these stinking trains. Like This has always been part of the plan on the left when you get their big social program, and then we need to build high-speed rail. We need more trains. Guys, we stopped liking trains. The plane is here. Like, we came up with the plane because we didn't like the trains. Be uh, because, oh gosh, I can't believe I have to explain this. The plane is superior to the train for this reason. Once you lay down a track, that's where the track goes, honey. 
you can't take the, the track is going to go to the city where you laid it. All right. So here's what happens with planes, though. They're in the air. And so if a plane was previously coming out of an airport and only going to Dallas and to Nashville and Chicago and New York City and Washington, D.C., and then there's like a renaissance in some small town in Gain- like Gainesville, Georgia or something, and people want to start going to Gainesville, well, guess what? We don't have to lay a track. We just get the plane in the air and say, instead of pointing towards New York, turn it around and head on south. Like, that's how this works. What, what is the deal? The le- it's, ever since I was a kid, I've not understood. Why on earth the left wants trains to be a part of this so badly? And I could go on. There's a whole bunch more here. But here's the, here's the premise. The premise is, if we just did the Green New Deal, we would all look back in 30 years, 20 years, and know that the planet was saved by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her ideas. But we need to recognize these things. One... The what is thought of as an environmental agenda is not. It's an economic agenda. They use the environment as the premise on the left, but the actual argument is to give government control over more of the economy or all of the economy. That's why she starts with environmentalism and ends with Medicare for all, a jobs guarantee, and building trains and a smart grid and retrofitting every building in America. I've said it once with her. I'm almost offended that she does not include unicorns. If she's going to create a fantasy world, at least go with unicorns, elves, something. Have something more exciting. If I were going to be writing fictional, really dumb policy, I would at least include some unicorns and elves. Maybe an elf riding a unicorn, I might get that bold. But that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her brilliance. If you want to go watch that video, I did put it on my Facebook fan page. Just go like the Corey Truax. Oh, yeah, it's just my name. Yeah, like Corey Truax on Facebook. You will see that video there, and you can follow along and laugh at it. I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen published, which is something to say for someone who's into the internet as much as I am. All right, we'll move on here. Another dumb thing I saw was the reaction to the Mueller report after it was released, I guess now, by the time this airs, it'll be about a little bit less than two weeks ago. I wanted to slow down on it. I didn't want to do that quick hot take thing. You know, the thing was over, it was hundreds of pages, hundreds and hundreds of pages. And you had folks giving their perspective on it minutes after it was released. And it was just like, guys, you've lost a lot of credibility. Like, you've not read it. We can all wait for a minute. Like I don't know why you all think we have to have every detail and your opinion on it within moments of it coming out. Just you have more credibility if you stop and read it. I read a little of it. I read a lot of synopses, uh, did a lot of the outline stuff, executive summaries. And as is the case with me, again, the same thing we just did with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She wasn't the point. The event wasn't the point. The point was the ideas behind the points. Robert Mueller, Donald Trump, uh, Robert Barr are important, but they're not the centerpiece. In the Mueller report, the event is not the most important point. Often the ideas behind it are the most important, and uh, one of my big emphases is how we react as people. How we react to the news is at least as important, if not more important, than the news itself. And so here's some things that I saw. In reaction to the Mueller report, 
again with a caveat, I'm about to please and displease absolutely everybody. Here we go. If you are a big Trump fan and you are super excited about what is basically exoneration, there was that paragraph in there that says, you know, if we could have clear language to, if, if we could prove that there was no obstruction and no collusion, we would say so. But we can't say it outright. Like, we can't prove that negative. But beyond that language, what volume one of the report showed is there was a lot of people that wanted to coll- like collude. Certainly there were people in the campaign and Trump himself who didn't care if the Russians got involved in the election. But the actual act of coordination just never happened. And if you're a Trump fan and you're excited about that, that's great. And then you come into volume two and you say, well, it was clear that Donald Trump wanted to do things that could be construed as obstruction of justice, like telling, uh, was it who did he tell to fire? Was it McGahn? He told McGahn to fire Mueller, uh, but McGahn wouldn't do it. There were, there were, and then going out on Twitter, like he said, it's the things he said about Comey and Mueller firing. Like there were things that that the president wanted to do, even ordered subordinates to do, that could be construed as obstruction, but his own people didn't do them. And so, if you're a Trump fan and you you read it and you believe it, you believe the report, you believe there are there's just nothing here that suggests any kind of obstruction. There's nothing here that suggests collusion, and I believe it. You need to have the credibility and the maturity to also read the report and recognize that the president's a deeply dishonest man. That he did in that report ask people to lie for him. Not lie to authorities, but lie to the media. You have to conclude. If you believe all the parts of the report that say he's exonerated of collusion and obstruction, you need to necessarily believe that he's also a bad person. That he does very bad things. That he's dishonest. He's, it's, that's one of his deepest natures. One of Donald Trump's deepest natures is to lie. It's very easy for him to do it. Sometimes it's you can call it exaggeration or hyperbole, but the man's a liar. He's deeply dishonest. And if you read the parts of the report that say he's he has been exonerated, I believe those parts. And then you read the parts that say he is a liar, though. He does lie a lot. He didn't break any laws. He didn't criminally lie. He didn't commit perjury or obstruct justice. But in his personal life, he lies. And you don't believe that part? Let me be really honest. Let me be really clear. You're an idolater. You're an irrational, immature idolater if you believe one part and not the other. He is exonerated. He's also a horrendous person and a bad human being. The other side here. If you believe, if you've read the report and you believe all the stuff they say about him that's bad is true, like you know he's a liar. He lies a lot. That's just that's really clear from this. He's a, he's a bad person who has no problem with dishonesty. But then you don't believe the conclusion that he didn't collude. You're also an idolater. You also have a, there's a part of your brain that's broken. If you believe the parts of the report that you like and you don't believe the parts you don't like, you're not even trying to observe objective truth. 
you've laid out what you want to be true and what you hope to be true, and then you just organize your mind, your emotions, and your life around what you desire and not what the evidence suggests. What I'm going to do and what I would invite you to do is follow the evidence. It appears that Bob Mueller did a pretty good job. I'm actually impressed with what he did. He collected a lot of facts. Those facts led me here. This is where I conclude. The President of the United States would have been happy for Russian help, but never took any action or asked anyone to take any action to actually coordinate with Russian government officials. So the definition, by de the definition of collusion, he did not conclude. Moreover, he did some things that could, or asked people to do some things that could be called obstruction, but they didn't do those things, and so he didn't obstruct. And also, he is a garbage human being. Now, we all, I guess, already knew that, but he's a bad guy. That's the logical conclusion to come to and where to land. When we come back, I have a couple more thoughts on the Mueller report. We'll move on to Trump versus Romney round three or four, I think is where we are in that. We'll do that when we come back for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back for the final segment of the Corey Truax Show this week. We've been talking about the Mueller report and the bottom line truth that no matter what side you come out on, that you don't need to look at the Mueller report for sides. That when you read that the president on one part of the report, the president is exonerated. He didn't collude. He didn't obstruct. If you believe that part and you're happy about it, you also need to believe the parts that say he's a bad guy who does bad things. Equally, if you believe the parts that say he's a bad person who does bad things, you also need to go ahead and conclude there's just nothing there that says he colluded or obstructed justice. Right? So those should all come together in one big package and then maybe all move on with our lives. So a couple other quick thoughts on this. As I saw those reactions out there, the reaction to the Mueller report that were illogical, irrational, believing one part but not believing the other. It became apparent to me that this guy, this one personality, the president, has affected people so deeply on an emotional level that it's just broken a lot of brains. People aren't thinking straight because of their emotional reaction to him. To which I just I want to say, that if that's you, and because I think I have listeners that might be on both sides of that, that really love him. Just you love this guy. And you can't believe how awesome it is that he gets to be president. And you just feel good about being an American. And I think I have some listeners who just, you know, they get a slight panic attack when they think about him. Don't let him do that to you. Don't let him have that power. Don't give him that power. Don't give him the power, for you Trump supporter, don't give him the power that you sacrifice your own credibility and your own consistency. If you are willing to just change your position, to change your opinions, and change your standards to benefit this guy, why? Why on earth would you be that way? What's he done to earn your loyalty? That's insane. Don't do that. Don't act like that. That's a terrible way to be. And hey, don't let this guy ruin your day. He's just a politician. A couple years ago, he was just a TV host. He's a nothing. He's a nobody. He'll, he's, he's the president. He's going to be the president for at least until ja January 2021 20, and the way things look, probably more after that. Just don't let him affect your life that way. Politics is just one part of life. It's becoming a smaller and smaller part of mine. Just move on to other things. Don't let him dominate your emotions in that way. You know, oddly enough, it was Pete Buttigieg, 
this mayor of South Bend, Indiana, I thought he kind of nailed it here recently, which I would very ref- – I don't tend to think I'm going to say that about many Democrats, that they nailed it. But he was in a uh, some some kind of campaign event. It was in New Hampshire. In, I'm almost positive. It was one of the early states. It was Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. I'm basically positive it was in New Hampshire. And he said something like, you know what? Actually, I think I have the quote. Let me click here. Yeah, okay. He said, I think the sense of anger and dissatisfaction – that comes from seeing that the numbers are fine, like unemployment's low, all that, uh, like GDP is growing, and yet a lot of neighborhoods and families are living like this recovery never happened, and they're stuck. Then he said, it just kind of turns you against the system in general, and then you're more likely to want to vote to blow up the system, which could lead you to somebody like Bernie, and it could lead you to somebody like Trump. That's how we got here. He actually nailed it. I find that to be the for the hardcore Trump people, it's a similar a similar motivation that got people to... Trump is, the, is a similar motivation that got people to Bernie. They felt like the system is rigged. Something's wrong here. Something's rigged. The powerful people have too much power. And so I just want to do damage to the entire system. I want to blow it up. And so you don't have, you don't have people with core convictions, core ideologies, core ideas of who they are and what they believe... What they know is, I'm not powerful, and I perceive that the powerful people are being too powerful, and so someone blow it up. And that's where Buttigieg kind of nails it there. Uh, it looks like, I mean, Bernie's leading all the polls. He looks It's very funny to me that he could be the nominee. But Bernie has that, he, he has that appeal. If you think the system is rigged, but you think the system is rigged by bankers and the Chamber of Commerce and the, the business interests, like they rigged the game, you're going to be with Bernie. And if you think that, well, actually, there's a there's a confluence there where if you think the businesses are rigged against the employer, the employer, excuse me, the employee, or maybe you think it's global powers, globalism, but someone else rigged the game, the government's rigged the game, then you're maybe you're with Trump or something. And so, it's it's just one of those things to break out of, to evaluate as adults. What do we like? What do we believe? Who? What's right and what's wrong? And not who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy? I'm trying to defeat. Okay, so. That's, well, I guess there are a couple tr- other Trump thoughts here real quick. Before we get to the Trump versus Romney, I, I do want to give an opinion on this. The Democrats are now issuing subpoenas for Trump tax records. Two opinions. One, the President of the United States should have released his tax records. That's a good rule of thumb. It's not a law. He didn't have to. It's just a good practice. He should have done it out of decorum. He should have done it out of what our normal politics are, but he didn't, and he te- he has privacy, and so I am not a fan of Democrats issuing a subpoena. I want him to do it because it would be the right thing, but I don't want Democrats to force him because I don't like force. And now Trump has sued, or Trump's attorneys have sued, to stop the subpoena. My general thought is this. What a waste of time. What a waste of everyone's time. You're... All you're going to find in the financial information from the president is maybe some stuff that's embarrassing to him. I think the primary reason he doesn't want his financial information made public is he doesn't want people to know how leveraged he is. He probably does have billions of dollars in assets, but there's a reason he called himself the king of debt. There's a reason I can play for you an interview when he was running for president when he was on CNBC where he said, now is the time to borrow. 
<laughs> we were at the time like $19 trillion in debt. We're $21 trillion in debt now. And he was on TV saying, now is the time to borrow. And I was just, my mind was blown. Was, Interest rates are so low. And so, and they, I guess they are, but uh, he is the king of debt. So I think he's just really leveraged. He doesn't want people to know. And so you're not going to find any valuable information from getting his financial records other than just embarrassing him, maybe. And then to sue to stop it, it's just this really unhelpful sideshow that wastes a bunch of people's time, and it's not healthy for our politics. So that just I saw that story and thought I would give a quick word on it. Now, uh, next up, I do want to talk about this Trump versus Romney thing. You know, Romney, I'm much more of a Romney guy than I am a Trump guy, obviously. Romney is a, he is just as much as a pagan as Trump is. They're both outside of the faith. But Romney grows up in a tradition, in a religious tradition, where you earn your way into heaven, right? That's his, That's how Mormons work. And so Mitt Romney has been an immensely honorable man in his life, giving away something like 20% of every dollar he's ever earned. Like He's generous. He's been a faithful husband and father. Like He's the person you actually want your kids to be like, except you don't want them to grow up in a heresy like Mormonism. You'd want them to grow up actually loving the real Jesus. He's the opposite of Donald Trump, basically. He's humble uh, and takes... He has lived an honorable life, not caught up in a bunch of vices. He's been he's been a good guy. And he gave the speech during the primary against Trump, and then he made a statement when he was running for Senate against Trump, and, and he's had some other things. He said the president doesn't like him. He doesn't like the president. That makes total sense to me that the moral upstanding Mormon wouldn't like the casino baron strip club building adulterer and vice versa. Like the two of them wouldn't like each other, I'm sure. And so they've had their little feuds. And recently, Mitt Romney came out after the Mueller report and said basically what I said, that it's good, and it is objectively good, that we don't have a president who was involved with a foreign power. Like, that's objectively a good thing. We should all be very excited that the president of the United States was not doing anything illicit with a foreign government. At the same time, then Romney says what he says, which is true. But man, it is disturbing to see how... Loose this guy is with the truth. Man, it sure is disturbing to see how the people he surrounds himself with seem to have very little concern for that which is right and that which is wrong. And so the president comes out and hits back with the thing he always hits back as. Like, it's just so irrational to me. And his, hand, his fans do the same thing. He says back, you know, if he, and Donald Trump refers to himself in the third person. Ugh, I don't know why he does that, but he does. And he says, you know, if Mitt, if Mitt Romney would have fought Obama like he fights Trump, maybe he would have won. Maybe he would have won the election. And it's... You do know that winning doesn't mean right, right? If you're listening to me right now, can you settle that for yourself? Winning doesn't mean you're right. And no matter who you are, you know I'm right about this. Barack Obama won. Do you think he was right? And if you say, well, no. All right, so let me get the other group of people. George W. Bush won. Do you think he was right? Right. does Winning doesn't mean that you're righteous. And this is the argument that Trump and his people make. Well, if you would have won, maybe we'd listen to you. Right, so that's not how we're supposed to judge right and wrong. I do the Christian lens thing. I do the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. Winning is not the measurement of the Christian worldview. 
that which is right and that which is wrong. And listen, this is a guy who knows. There are times you do the right thing and you lose. It happens a lot in this world where you do the right thing and you lose out on it. And so when I see a culture, that's a subculture of Trump support that looks at Mitt Romney and says, basically, because you lost, don't speak up. Well, you know what, guys? Mitt Romney's right. Eternally, on the facts, he's right. And that what, that's what matters. And if you care more about winning than that which is right, that's for you to dig into your own soul about. You have a soul problem if you care more about winning than you do what's right and wrong. And if you disagree with me, let me declare something with clarity. I am right by biblical standard, and what you have is a worldly, secular worldview. You love these things that are of the earth. Your eyes are not above. Your eyes are on the earth. You have a worldly worldview, a secular worldview, and you are disagreeing with mine because mine is the spiritual and biblical worldview. The two don't intersect well, and that's why it makes you uncomfortable. One, probably one more story for today. So we're coming off of Easter. This is the episode is most recent after the Easter holiday. And there were the terrible attacks in Sri Lanka. And I know that a lot of other conservative commentators have already done this, but I think it's worth mentioning. When you compare the tweets and the statements of a lot of folks on the left, when you compare their statements from the New Zealand attack in Christchurch, New Zealand against Muslims, and then you compare the tweets and the statements after Christians were attacked in Sri Lanka, it exposes an important point about the American left. For Barack Obama, for Hillary Clinton, for a lot of other folks on the left, when they tweeted about what happened in New Zealand, they they talked about having solidarity with Muslims worldwide. When they talked about the Sri Lanka attack, they talked about Easter worshipers. You probably saw that focused on in a lot of media. The Easter worshipers. And it was so ubiquitous. It was so plain across the left that everyone was using the Easter worshiper thing that it became clear that's coordinated. Somebody in the left media world consulted on, well, what do we say here about what happened in Sri Lanka? Well, let's call them tourists and Easter worshipers because there's a key word you don't want to say there. And that word in the American left is Christian. You don't ever want to associate Christians with someone who's been victimized because they don't ever want to, because again, on the left, Victimhood is very important. It is a sign of virtue. If you've been a victim, that means you're a good person. And the American left, to be clear, hates Christianity. They hate all stripes of traditional religious values and specifically Christianity. They hate us. And because at large the American left hates us, they don't ever want us associated with victimhood status because that might mean they have to listen. And so the word Christian just couldn't be found anywhere. Because it's not just, there's not just a negation. There's also like a a posited point here. It's not just leaving Christianity out 
because you don't want them to be viewed as victims. Folks on the American left specifically view Christianity as the opposite, not even a neutral force in the culture. Christianity is oppressive to them. So therefore, not only can we not call Christianity a victim group, we have to set up Christianity as an oppressed group. All the while, worldwide, there is not a more persecuted group of people than Christians. Not, not, a, not as much in the Western world. But when you add up all the perse- persecuted groups in the world, Christians are the most persecuted per capita. That's something for we as believers to recognize. That's something for we as believers to pray about. Let me encourage you to go to persecution.com. It might be persecution.org, and you can see a lot of those stories of your brothers and sisters, people you will spend eternity with, if you are a believer, people you will spend eternity with, and the trials that they go through, the, the turmoil they go through for their faith. And it is an important point for us to recognize in America, as we're obviously the vast majority of my listeners are, as we're dealing politically, that there is an ideology that very specifically does not like you and might feel sorry when bad things happen, but they're not ever going to speak up on your behalf. And that's the American left. The American left is a particularly anti-Christian ideology. Final thoughts for today. Let me remind you, there's a second podcast now, South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. You can find it at palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org. You can also find it wherever you're listening to my podcast. Just look for South Carolina Connections. You will find it. Subscribe there, rate, and review it. If you're new to my show because you found me on South Carolina Connections, welcome in. This is what we do. What I just did for the last 50 minutes or so. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything. We're not taking stupid political sides. We're always going to go deeper to that Christian lens of what's going on in the world around us. So now find me in both places, South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax from the Palmetto Family Podcast Network, also here on the Corey Truax Show on WLFJ and wherever you get your podcast. If you would be so kind, connect on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and share the show with your friends and on your social media. I'd be highly appreciated. It would be highly appreciated if you would. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, peace and love.